real quick note on the handout. It's kind of a potpourri of things on this handout. So um, I hope you can follow it. I've just given some information. The thing at the thing at the end, this thing, this quote from kind of you may it may not mean anything to you. It 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 meant something to me, and so don't read it now. Read it because you have to. It'll make more sense afterwards. But it, so if it if you think why is she why why is that on there? Just pretend it's not on there. Okay, so that's just kind. Of, okay, let me pray for us then. Um, Father, um, thank you for your word. Thank you for your living word, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he feeds us. And we ask now that he would feed us till we want no more. And Father, we pray that you would just enlarge our hearts, that we would see and feed upon him. And we just pray that you would uh, just help us to understand all the beautiful things you are teaching us here. Would you be with me, Lord, and, and let me get out of the way and let me just glorify your holy name and adorn the gospel. And in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, so we have a lot to cover this morning, and I hope that you got to go through things. You did your homework, and you got to go through things um, at in your discussion group because we're not going to have time to cover everything. There's just too much here. And every verse is jam-packed with things, so we're just going to kind of do what we can do. Um, actually, we're not even going to talk about in here this morning the feeding of the multitude nor the crossing of the sea because of time. But we will be referring back to some of that, but we, we can't spend time on it. Our main part is we're going to be spending time on the discourse, and that's in verses 35 to 59. And then we'll just barely touch on the response to the discourse, which is in verses 60 to 71. So, why do I want a few introductory comments? This text is confusing and it's difficult, and yet it's beautiful and profound and amazing. And so you know from having done your study that this that this text caused the people who were hearing it, it caused a lot of controversy. Well, I need to tell you, it still causes controversy. And um, there are all kinds, you'll see, you saw the different responses in, in the text. And I'm telling you, there are different responses that people have to this text. And so um, I would say that generally people react to this text in two ways. It's either a stumbling block or it is the rock upon which they stand. And so our question today is, what is our response? can't answer that now. We'll go through it and talk about it and see. And I need to tell you, we're going to cover some controversial things, but hopefully you'll see that it's what the text is saying. If you have questions afterwards, I'd be happy to talk to anyone or, you know, we can get someone to talk to you. So if, if there's anything that's, that's troubling to you. Okay, so the first thing that we're going to actually do is we're going to touch a little bit on the section 25 to 34, but I'm just going to touch on it a little bit, and then we'll come to the discourse. But, but two more things by way of introduction. The, the, uh, the one is that the feeding of the 5,000 at the beginning is really, really important, and we're not going to do that, but we're going to keep referring to it. So keep in mind that 
from that feeding is where all of this flows from. And if you remember in the text, in that, in that chapter, in, that, for, in those first verses, it says that Jesus knew all along what he was going to do. And so this is not a surprise. He was using that. And he knew that he was going to teach on that. And, and it is to help us. It's for our hearts. It was for their hearts. And we'll see um, what happens from that. And the final thing that I want to say um, is, and you have this on your handout, I want to read this definition of a sign. I think this is just amazing. I, can't, I couldn't find where I got it. So I, I don't know. I, I got it somewhere. I didn't write it. But anyway, I think this is excellent. A sign is a miracle viewed as proof of divine authority and majesty. And the purpose of a sign is to lead attention away from the deed itself and point to the divine doer. This sign is often a work of power in the physical realm that illustrates a principle that is operative in the spiritual realm. So that's what Jesus' sign of the, of the bread is. That's what is going on there. Okay, so let's begin with this brief look at, at verses 25 to 34. And what is going on in this section is um, that Jesus is giving us a look into the hearts of the crowd. And, and Jesus is, is pointing out to them what is wrong in their hearts, and he's preparing them for the teaching of the discourse. But, of course, it's also written for our own hearts. So we need to know that. And I, I'm going to add, I need to fill us in on this also. Who are the people to whom Jesus is speaking? Well, it's, a, it's quite an array of people, actually. It seems as if this group is made up of a large contingent of those who witnessed and participated in the feeding of the 5,000. But in that group that participated in that, it included a general group of people who had witnessed the healing signs of Jesus because that's why they were they they had followed Jesus after he had done healing. They had come and and they were there and that's why the feeding took place. So it included those, but it also included Jewish leaders of the synagogue at Capernaum. And I think we're going to see that they're carefully observing Jesus's words and actions. But then it also included some disciples of Jesus, and this was not the 12, but some disciples of Jesus, and these, we don't know the number of them, but it was a fairly large number, we think, but these were those who have been following Jesus for a long period of time. And so they have seen Jesus, they've heard Jesus teach, they've seen a lot of his, they've seen some of his signs, and that, and so they were included in this group too. Okay, so this crowd is the one this is the crowd that Jesus perceived wanted to make him king. And um, he knew that they, they wanted to see him, seize him, but he went away, and then they couldn't find him. So now they've come to Capernaum looking for him, and they've found Jesus. And what takes place in, in these verses is a dialogue. And so I'm just going to summarize a few things. We'll look basically at verses 26 and 27. And the key thing to understand in this passage that we're looking at right now is what Jesus reveals about the motives of the people to whom he's speaking. And he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And Jesus is saying this. He's saying, you completely missed what was happening when I 
fed the multitude. You missed what the sign was pointing to. And Jesus is telling them that they're tr- what their true motives are. And he tells them, it's not even because you saw miraculous signs. They did see a miraculous sign, and that made them want to make Jesus king. But what Jesus is saying is the sign wasn't significant to them because of who Jesus was, but it was because he could supply them with the food that filled them to the fullness. So they, what kind of king were they looking for? And we, and we would say that they wanted the kind of king who could fill their stomachs with physical food, the kind of king who could heal their physical diseases. And remember that this was at the time of the Passover. And so the commentators tell us that this was a time of national fervor among the people. And so they wanted someone like Moses, who was a king, who would feed them and lead them out of the oppression of the Romans. So there were all of these things going on, but it was all in the physical realm. So Jesus says to them, then, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, which the Son of Man will gift to you. And, okay, so who is the Son of Man? He is, that's, this is how Jesus most often refers to himself. The Son of Man is Jesus as, as unique humanity. He is not a Son of Man. He is the one and only Son of Man. And he, on him, the, God the Father has set a seal. And what Jesus is saying to them, he's telling the crowd that they should not work for food that perish, that perishes, but not for physical bread, but for food that endures to eternal life. And Jesus is directing them to the one who can give them that food that endures. And he is the only one who can give it to them because he is the unique son of God. And God has set his seal on him. God has certified his authenticity. He is this one of a kind. He is the only one who can give this food that endures to eternal life. And so the rest of, the, of that dialogue unfolds with the crowd trying to figure out. And what do they talk about? They say, well, what can we do? What should we do? That's always what they want to do. What can we do? And Jesus then turns that on them, and he says, here's what you can do. Have faith. Have faith in Jesus, the Son of Man, upon whom God has set his seal, and feed on him. So still, that doesn't... It doesn't go into their hearts and minds, and they say, Sir, give us this bread always, but they're not talking about the kind of bread Jesus is talking about. So we come to the discourse then. What is a discourse? It is a, it's kind of a sermon of sorts. It is a, and, and in this case, it's a sermon on the bread of life. Okay, and I also want to say that in this discourse, we are going to find, find Jesus speaking in a way, and I have this on your um, outline, on your handout, where it says he's kind of, he's using what is called in Hebrew a mashal. I don't know if that's how you say it, but it's kind of a paradoxical saying. It's something that comes out veiled, but it's about truth. It has truth. It's absolute truth, but it comes out in a riddle or a parable-like thing. I think our in our study, it's called a metaphor, but it's actually, according to most of the commentaries, it's this, this kind of, of way of speaking. And an example of this would be, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is talking in those kinds of terms, um, where it's, 
It's a veiled statement. It's a true statement about who Jesus is, but it's not completely understood. Okay, another example was in John two nineteen when Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. It has that kind of feel. So right away, Jesus makes this astonishing statement. And he says, I am the bread of life. That's what he says. And he says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And Jesus is saying, it's not a thing, it's me. I am the bread of life. And those who want to cease hungering and thirsting need only to come to me. Believe in me. That's what Jesus is saying. If you believe in me, you will never hunger again. You will never thirst again because you can come to me anytime and I will fill you up. But he's talking about spiritual things. The coming to Jesus is coming in faith, believe in him, and you will receive complete and enduring spiritual fullness. But we come to verse 36, and the problem is they can't come to Jesus. Why can they not come to Jesus? Because they haven't believed. Jesus says, you have seen me, and Jesus means you've seen my te- you've seen and heard, you've heard my teaching, you've seen my miracles, but you have not truly seen me, and you, so you can't believe in me. And so we come now to verses 37 through 39, and, and then comes this amazing statement. This is, this is where a lot of the controversy comes. And what, what is going to happen is that Jesus throughout the rest of the discourse is going to say the same thing, but he's always going to have a new twist to it. So we're going to keep hearing this same thing, but it's always going to have a new twist to it. And so this is what he says. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Okay, so let's take this apart. Jesus has just told the ones who he has been in dialogue with that they have seen him, and yet they do not believe in him, and yet he's saying there are those who will believe in me. There are those who will come to Jesus. And who are those who will come to Jesus? Those who come, will come to Jesus are all that the Father has given him. They will all come to him. All that the Father has given to Jesus will come to him. There is a number of people who will, whom the Father has determined will come to the Son. And they will belong to Jesus forever. God wanted to honor the Son. He chose to, and he gave him a people chosen by grace. That's an amazing statement. The Father gives believers to the Son as a gift, a treasure. Okay, but there's more. Jesus continues, and he says, Whoever, whoever comes to me as a gift from the Father, Jesus will never cast out. Jesus says, If you come to me, I will never cast you out. Now, a couple of things to note about this. Jesus changes from the collective and moves to the singular. So what is he saying? He says, all that the Father has given me will come to me, and I will not cast one of them out. 
not one. I will lose not one of those. So that's how specific it is. Anyone that the, all that the father has given him, Jesus will, will receive as a gift and he will never lose one of them. And when it says cast out, it means that he will keep them safe. He will preserve them. All that come to him, he will preserve. It is, um, it is an amazing statement, and, and it is, it's as if it's saying, a gift given, a gift treasured, a gift preserved. That's what's unfolding here. And then Jesus goes on in verse 38, and he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Why will Jesus perfectly keep those whom the Father has given him? Because, and this is what one commentator writes, and I love this, because the entire reason of the incarnation, the entire reason of Jesus coming down from heaven was not to do his own will, but the will of the Father who sent him. And what was the will of the Father who sent him? It was that Jesus should lose none, not one individual, of all that the Father has given him. Is that an amazing statement? There's more. Jesus will raise them up on the last day. If Jesus is never going to cast out one person but preserve and protect him forever, he will certainly raise them up on the last day that they may be with him in eternity. That's how certain, that's how secure is our salvation. Now, we're going to go into verse 40. Okay, so what does this mean? Okay, so we're going to get a further definition of the will of the Father, but this is going to be viewed from the point of view of human responsibility. Okay, we've, we've seen all the things that the Father is going to, has done and that Jesus is going to do, and now we're going to talk about the human responsibility. And it says this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So what is our responsibility? It is to believe. And now we ask the question, okay, so that's my responsibility, but what if I lose my faith? What happens then? The answer is that the certainty of what, was, what happened in the eternal heavenly places is certain and for sure. So, if we come to Jesus believing, do you think that we will ever lose our salvation? No, we can't because we're held. What happens then? This is forever. Do you think that the Father would have given some to Jesus if he thought that we would turn away from him? No, he sent Jesus to die. And Jesus, is, Jesus says, I will never cast one of them out. And the thing is that it is certain that those to, who come to Jesus will stay with him because they believe in him. How do we know that? What makes it certain that we will believe? How do we believe? We believe because what happens? We have a new heart. We have a new mind. We believe because we're different people. We'll come back to that in a minute. Okay, so... The grumbling begins, and it is the Jews who are grumbling, 
and the, we believe this might refer to the, the leaders of the synagogue. And you know why they're grumbling? They're grumbling, not because of any of this beautiful stuff that Jesus has just said. They're grumbling because Jesus said, I am the bread of life that came down of, out of heaven, the bread that came down out of heaven. And they said this because they knew who Jesus' family was. So that's why they're grumbling. And then they say to him, we know where he came from. How does he now say that he came down out of heaven? And Jesus answers them this way. He says, do not grumble among yourselves. And then he says again, no one can come to the Father. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, this is another amazing statement. R.C. Sproul says this. This is what he's saying. He is saying, no one, no one person, no person, without exception, no one is able to do what? No one is able to come to me. In short, Jesus is saying, no human being is capable of coming to him. Why is this? Because all people are infected with moral inability as a result of their fallen condition. No one will choose to come to Jesus. They can't because it would never be their desire to choose Jesus unless, unless this is the necessary condition. Everyone is lost unless something that must take place if someone is to come to Jesus. And that is, unless the Father who sent me draws him. What does that word mean? The word draw means unless the Father compels him. We cannot come to Jesus on our own unless something happens. Think back to what Jesus said to Nicodemus. You must be born again. You must. You cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless the Holy Spirit changes your heart. You have a heart of stone. You are blind. You see nothing. And Jesus is saying, you have to be a new creation. Something has to happen. You have to have the Spirit of God in you. You have to be given a new heart. You have to be different. You have to have new eyes to see and new ears to hear. Okay, this is a hard thing. But a person will never choose Jesus without the Father's intervention. Do they have free will? Yes, they have free will. They will choose what they want. They will choose what they want, and what they choose is not Jesus because they don't want Jesus, because they're blind. It says in, in Ephesians that they are dead. We were all dead. We were all dead. And the only way that we can be raised up is because the Father intervenes. That's what the passage says. So a controversy arrives now when Jesus begins to further define what it means that he is the bread of life. And we're going to jump to verses 48 to 51. And he says this, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Uh-oh. This is what happens. What happens? They can't stand this. This, this is... It starts out fine. It's basically a comparison between manna in the wilderness and Jesus, the 
the living bread. And Jesus says, those who ate the manna died. And Jesus is saying, those who eat the bread that I will give, and he already says what the bread is, it's Jesus, will live, will live forever. And what Jesus is doing is he's reiterating, re, huh, I can't speak. He is reiterating what he has said before, but he adds this, and the bread that I give is my flesh. And that causes an eruption of controversy. How can he give his flesh to eat? Then in 52 through 58, and I'm going to read this. It's a pretty long passage. The crowd begins to dispute among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And obviously, they're still thinking physically, and Jesus is speaking spiritually. But Jesus is going to not make it easier for them. He's going to make it more difficult. You would think he would stop and say, no, wait, let me explain what that means. That's not what he does. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless, again, we have that necessary condition, unless... You eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. You have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will live because of me. He's drawing the same connection. Jesus has life in his humanity because of the Father has sent him, and now we have life because Jesus is in because we are in Jesus. It's not like this bread that came down from heaven is not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And when many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that the disciples were grumbling, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? And Jesus is talking about his ascension. But one of the things that we have to remember here is how does he ascend? He ascends because he's gone through the cross. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some who do not believe. And this is why I told you, he repeats it again, no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. So what happens? They walk away. Because this is a scandal of all proportions in their hearing. They have heard everything. They have heard with the flesh and not by spirit, because the flesh is of no avail. They have heard Jesus' teaching, but they haven't really seen Jesus. My friends, this is the dividing line. This is the watershed. Only those who have spiritual understanding can see the beauty and wonder and sorrow and love of what Jesus is saying. Only those who have been drawn by the Father, only those upon whom the Father and Son have set their love before the foundation of the world can see the beauty of what Jesus is speaking about. He is speaking about the cross. The cross is the scandal, not Jesus' words. The cross is what it would take for Jesus to keep us safe. The cross is what it would take for Jesus to raise us up on the last day. Yes, there are those who mock the cross, who will walk away from any talk of sacrifice, 
who will turn from one so bloodied and beaten and seemingly defeated. They will not see Jesus. To them, the idea of this is repulsive. But those who belong to Jesus, those whom the Father has drawn, not because of something in themselves, not because of something they have done, but because of what God has done for them and given them to Jesus Christ and what he does on the cross. When Jesus talks of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, he is talking about his violent death, his sacrifice on our behalf, and what he is calling us to do is to feed on him. There could not be a deeper relationship than what he's calling us to. He is saying, abide in me. Have your life hidden in me. That is the depth of our relationship. The love that is poured out, we live because of Jesus. He is, uh, it is, he is talking about a relationship that is so deeply satisfying that you will never go away hungry. And, and the more you feed on him, the bigger he's going to grow. It's like, like Aslan when it is said, but Aslan, you've grown bigger. You've grown bigger, but the idea is that the more you feed on Jesus, he will grow bigger to you. And Jesus is saying, abide in me, feed on me. And so we come to this point. There will be, most will walk away, but there will be some, like the 11 disciples, who will say along with Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Paul says the same thing. He says, I will boast in nothing else except the cross and all that that means. We are called to eat Jesus' flesh, and what that means is we are called to believe in him and feed upon him and hear his word and live and put our faith deeply down in this. The cross, that is how Jesus preserves us and keeps it safe. All those that the Father has given him, it is, the cro- it is through the cross that Jesus keeps us safe. That is how he can promise that one day he will raise us up. Someday that will happen. Someday he is going to raise us up. Someday the trumpet will sound and the clouds will part and Jesus will come and he will call us by name. And he will raise us up on the last day. We can't lose that. That's a promise. That's how secure it is. It is secured because the Father planned before all eternity that he had set his love upon a people, that he would make them so that he, we would see him, so that we would have eyes to see. Otherwise, we are blind. Otherwise, we will never turn to him. But he set his love upon us, and he gave us to Jesus as a gift. And Jesus said, I will keep them safe, and I will make certain that they will stay with me. I will never cast them out. I will keep them safe. I will die on the cross, and I will raise them up on the last day. Because, my friends, Jesus says this in John chapter 10. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Yes, you must believe in him. But you can trust 
that your belief is secure because it is secured in heaven. It is secured on the cross. Jesus is the king we are seeking to follow. To God be the glory. Pray. Father, um, we would sit here and we would say, why would you choose me? We don't know the answer. There's so many mysteries in, in what happens here and what Jesus is saying. There are things that go on and we don't understand them, but all that we know is all that you have done, all that the Father has done to make sure that you will have a people for yourself, that you will have a people to raise up on the last day. And somehow, that belongs to those who believe in Jesus. And the one thing we know is that it is not to us that the glory belongs, but to, the, but to God be the glory. And we thank you in Jesus Christ. Amen.